Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Inside the Banjoverse, a podcast exploring Roots Music's great artists. Please do rate and subscribe, it makes a huge difference, and let all your friends know to listen. This is Enda Scal from Irish bluegrass crossover band We Banjo 3. Before you freak out, don't worry, there's actually four of us, and mostly just one banjo. That's me. Nora Brown has been described as a banjo prodigy, and I really enjoyed this chat with her, uncovering her interest in old-time banjo and her roots in old-time music. Lovely to have Nora Brown on the podcast. Nora is a banjo player that I haven't met, but I have come across online, uh, I think in a Bluegrass Situation article that said 10 young banjo players that you must, uh, that you that you don't know about, that you must know about. And uh, you were one of those that uh, definitely caught my eye. So uh, where in the world are you, Nora? Hey, um, I'm calling in from Brooklyn, New York, uh, over here in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Yeah. Wow. I was expecting you to say somewhere in East Tennessee or Kentucky. Oh, given, did you not given know? your music. <laughs> did you not know I'm over in New York City? I decided not to look it up. I could have. And, and oh, okay. Not okay. To. Well, then, yeah, that must have come as a surprise. Um, but yeah, yeah. So tell me, tell me, tell me a little bit about um, what interested you in the banjo. Like I've read a, a lot about uh, what what's been written about you, and it's this like really authentic take on old time and Appalachian banjo. And now I'm an Irish banjo player. I play four string tenor banjo. And when I began to tour in the U.S. about twenty years ago, that was the first time that I came in contact with uh, old time banjo with bluegrass. And I was really taken with the earthy sounds of Appalachian banjo, with the uh, that old time sound, 
and I've tried to incorporate that into what I do on on a four string tenor. But uh, you know, you're growing up in Brooklyn, New York. You know, what what attracted you to old time banjo? Yeah, well, um, I started playing old time music when I was about six years old, and I was—I like to say I was almost by accident. Um, my a friend, I—I I had said I wanted to learn ukulele, and my parents were looking for a teacher. And a friend of a friend recommended this guy named Shlomo Pesco, um, and we started to learn from him. And it turns out he only taught old time music, so I was learning old time songs on the ukulele. Um, and I did not think anything of it. I was just, you know, like, okay, this is music. This is what we're playing. And, you know, that in that way, I was not, you know, tuned into how unique and special um, the old time music culture is, or and just how um, special the music is in general. So it was very like, um, I feel like it was a very natural process to get into old time music. Most people learn about this music when they're a lot older, and I think that um, being introduced to it when I was younger helped me kind of um, just have a like a better understanding of how it works. You know, now that I yeah. And that did that in that the interest that you had when you were six in old time music did that come through your parents? Have they some background in music? No, no, no. I, I definitely, I did not have an interest in old time music. I, I was interested in playing the ukulele, but then I, I ended up learning from a teacher who taught only old time music. And, you know, I, I wouldn't even identify it as that at that age. It was just, you know, music. So then, no, and my parents weren't even interested in that music. It was just kind of by accident um, that we found this man named Shlomo Pesco, who has since passed away, but um, was a great teacher and really helped me it uh into the music that i play today yeah so do you think it's really important then that you know meeting somebody that plays old-time music only you're like innocently going in with your ukulele obviously interested in all sorts of music was he a big influence on you um well hard to say i mean he was my first teacher he's the only person i ever learned that instrument from so I wouldn't even, you know, uh, well, of course, a big influence, but like, it's hard to say someone is an influence when you don't even have anything to influence. So, you know, I went in there and began to learn from him. Um, and yes, that is how, you know, I found out about this style of music. But it's just weird to say that even then, because it's not like, finding out about something it's like just happening upon it i don't even know because you know at six years old and through the time that i was taking lessons from him i was just very oblivious to the fact of the or just the uniqueness of what i was actually doing it based where i was you know very and now i know that actually there's a <laughs> this is my cat up here just jumped my lap um a large old time scene in New York City, but um, it can be hard to find if you don't, you know, meet somebody who is um, with, you know, playing music with, or, you know, part of that scene. Hmm. So when did the transition to banjo happen? Um, I would say probably when I was around 10 years old, I started playing banjo. Um, 
I, yeah, my, uh, Shlomo passed away right before I started getting into the banjo. I had always wanted to play, but I kind of started playing banjo ukulele with him, which is a little hybrid of the instruments. Um, and I'd started to play banjo a little bit, but, um, and he, he passed and I, um, began to branch out and learning from different teachers, uh, on the five string banjo. Yeah. And so who, uh, who would have been, uh, are there, are there an amount of banjo teachers in, in New York city in Brooklyn? Was it easy to find somebody? I mean, yes. Now, like now that once we had, yeah, yeah. Like once, um, I'd started learning from Shlomo. Uh, he would take me, or he would he would have like recitals, like a normal music teacher would, at different locations, different like venues that specialize in old time music. So hanging around those areas, we would meet people, and um, and then we had people to reach out and be like, "Hey, we're looking for a banjo teacher. Do you know anyone?" And yeah, yeah, there are actually quite a few. And now I'm teaching banjo, so yeah. <laughs> Uh, is it uh, is it technically difficult to learn? Is it, it's claw hammer you play, right? Yeah, I play a lot of different styles, but yes, uh, claw hammer. Mm -hmm. And have you ever been attracted to the Scruggs style? Um, I. Well, sh sure. I mean, I'd love to know how to play it. I don't. I'm. I, you know, I haven't really given it a. Um fair try but i i do play the two finger old time two finger style and i dabble on three finger but i, I don't really play a lot of songs in starts scrug style but I, I can if it takes really slow um but the old time two finger style is very similar to scrug style it sounds very similar um and yeah that's mostly two finger style a little bit of up, up picking mm -hmm. so i'm just i'm curious like you're are you you're 15 now 16 15 yeah i'm just i'm super curious about uh the deep interest that you have in old time music and it seems to be quite specific to east tennessee or uh, east kentucky and tennessee uh, i'm just wondering where the uh the influence to to go right into the heart of uh, that specific old time genre comes from um, well, I, I mean, I, um, learning from, after Shlomo passed away, I started to kind of, um, learn from a couple different teachers and in that process I, at getting like more familiar with the banjo, I would, Shlomo actually had a very extensive vinyl record collection and, um, we and me and my family inherited some of those from him and, uh, learning from new teachers sometimes I would put on vinyl records and from field recordings of old artists and I'd be like oh I really like that song I would love to learn it um and I would play it for my teacher and they would learn it and then we would learn it together and they would kind of walk me through playing it so in this way I kind of got more familiar with different regions operation where you know certain styles of music are coming from um I don't know if that answers your question but that is like another way that I kind of got a little bit more um, into the old time music world and kind of gained a little bit better understanding. And like that just kind of opened some doors to like exploring a little bit more into, like I said, regional music and um, specific artists. 
Yeah, and is that is it very is that very important to you that uh, that you maintain the integrity of the traditional side of old time music? Um, in what way do you mean integrity? I uh, mean, you know, being very being reverential, I guess, to the original recordings or to the original music. Okay, yeah, like playing the exact same way the artist does. Yeah, I mean, um, it's interesting because I've learned from many people as like, like I've said, uh, uh, one being at one of my uh, friends and a teacher too, uh, Mac Trainer, who is from Floyd, Virginia, and he, um, like all teachers have different teaching styles, and Mac is um, often teaches in a way where it's like, you, like, um, he teaches me a lot of stuff from that regional area of near where he lives in Floyd, Virginia, and um, so he'll teach me a song, and it's important to him that I learn it the, like, correct way first, or exactly the way that the artist did it, or like, his interpretation of it, and then it's also very important to him to, you know, expand on it in your own style afterwards, but um, keeping the roots of, like, the artist's version of the song is um, really important. But there's also other people that I've learned from where it's like, here's a little bit of how it goes. You take this and do what you want with it. So there's a lot of different ways that I've been taught. And, and I mean, like, even the way I teach now, it's probably a little bit of both. I'm not, I, I can't say that I'm super strict about um, the original recordings and the original style of it because often a lot of the things that I play are totally different from the way that I've learned it or the recording that I've heard from or whoever taught it to me. So it's very hard to be like, um, and this is exactly how Virgil Anderson played it. This is exactly how blank name played it because, I mean, honestly, it's often going to be like the way Nora Brown plays it, which is, um, you know, for better or for worse, that is mostly what people will be getting when they um, learn my music. But yes, in a certain, to a certain extent, it is very important to me to at least have the knowledge of the way the song goes and definitely to know the backstory behind it um, and, you know, as much as you can. It can be hard to find these things out because um, there's, you know, limited information on this music and there are, it, there's a limited amount of people still alive that really grew up with the tradition. Um, so, yeah, 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 I would say that it is important to me, but it is also important to me to continue the full process and, you know, uh, adapt songs to the way that, you know, suits. Hmm. So, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting answer. I mean, I'm I'm aware all of the time that at fifteen, like that, you know, this I'm, I'm thinking of myself when I was fifteen years old, and how much more development as a musician and stylistically, and for me, I was always trying to push boundaries and see where I can take traditional Irish music and take it to breaking point and maybe beyond to see what that might sound like. Uh, is that uh, is that something that you play with? Um, I wouldn't say that that is something that I often am doing, but you know, it does happen. Um, sometimes I'll play a song or collaborate with someone else who has a different idea about the way it wants to go or we create an arrangement that's very unique to um, the specific song and is very different from the way that we've learned it. Uh, a great example would be this this tune called Wedding Dress, which is actually coming out um, on my next 
album. But um, learned this tune from John Cohen, uh, who was uh, part of the New Lost City Ram, which is a great friend of mine. Um, passed away, uh, I believe, in around the end of 2019. Um, so fairly recently. It, it feels very recent because you know 2020 has moved so fast. Um, but uh, I learned this tune from John. But then I would I played it with my good friend Anna Roberts Duvall, and we kind of created this new, very ex um, just a very different version of it. It had a lot more flexibility within the um, like uh, arrangement of the tune, and um, I play it differently almost every time that I perform it. You know, um, it's just a very natural flowing stuff and you can add these little areas to tunes or you can change things to have more of that um uh flexibility um and I, I think that's a good example of kind of the way that i sometimes will alter songs in kind of a bigger way hmm. yeah do you uh, explain that a little bit more to me do you when when you're talking about altering songs and adding is that rhythmically is it vocally how, how, how do you approach oh, oh. that every way. Um, in this specific example I was talking about, this tune, Wedding Dress, um, at the end of the tune, uh, I sort of start to take pieces from all the verses and the chorus and kind of mix them up into a weird pattern that's different every time I play it. But it, um, because it's kind of got a simplistic melody, often all the phrases will work for each part of the melody. So it's very, um, it allows for that interpretation of it. And, um, but yeah, definitely vocally, always changing stuff because a lot of these songs that I'm learning are by male artists who have a different range than I do. And so I will often change um, how I sing the song. But yeah, and rhythmically, definitely, um, just by playing and practicing songs, you know, you find little variations or things that work that are the same or like slightly different rhythmically. Um, some syncopation, for example, might fit in somewhere and it's like a, I like to use the word variation because a lot of times in instrumental songs specifically um, when there's no vocal behind it you want to make sure that it is continuing continuing to be different each time you play it to um, keep people's interest and just to keep the song you know flowing um, so I'd say that you know specifically in a lot, a lot of instrumental music that I play, I make sure to kind of adapt the song to where I feel like um, can really captivate a listener. Hmm. Yeah. Are there lots of female artists, uh, and I'm thinking female written songs from a genre that you're pulling from um, that inspire you? You know, you talked about the importance of the story behind the song the origin of the song and a lot of old-time music uh, to my outside uh, awareness would probably have a lot of male artists and perhaps a lot of thematic stuff that would you know be from a male point of view but are there female artists that really inspire you from that time um well i mean it's yeah there are definitely um far less but uh some i can name right now a very common uh, female banjo player, or someone someone people might know if you're interested in the music, would be Ola Bell Reed. She's a great uh, songwriter and banjo player. 
Um, Abby Graham is a great ballad singer, and um, I believe she played piano too. And I mean, even Alice Gerard, who is not from that time, but uh, she worked with Hazel Dickens, and they uh, they wrote a lot of songs, but also played a lot of traditional music. And I would say that they kind of pioneered women being more part of bluegrass and old time music. Um, and Alice actually produced my first album, Cinnamon Tree. So I've been able to spend some time with her, um, which has been really awesome. She's um, such a legend, and it's really cool to kind of, um, well, we we worked together on like my singing voice and uh, the way I play songs, and it's very cool to have her input on the way I, you know, play my music. So I think that, you know, I'm so lucky to have been able to spend time around someone who is familiar with um sorry i yeah 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 so there are definitely women out there and even in today today's music scene we have rhiannon giddens amazing banjo player and songwriter uh i love her music and she's uh very very cool and we have anna roberts and elizabeth laprell anna and elizabeth they band together um and they're also a big inspiration to me they kind of some I would say that they kind of take old time music to another level and some of their more recent music and kind of adding a little bit of like, I don't like the word like experimental, but if you were to like use that word to describe a genre of music, that's what I would use. Um, kind of adding a little bit more of like, you know, a little more of those kinds of elements and kind of keeping the old time music roots, but uh, putting a twist on it. So yeah, I mean, you're definitely right. There's far less women in this um, music genre specifically, uh, but there are quite a few that I are definitely today, and quite a few that I try to I try to incorporate women's music into my repertoire into what I play. It's harder to do because obviously there's less of it, but um, yeah, I do I do what I can. <laughs> Do you have much awareness of uh, traditional Irish music and perhaps the influence that Irish immigrants had on on old time music? Um, I would say I don't. I I don't think I. I mean, I I don't know much about that, and I definitely I, I don't. I wouldn't say I have much Irish elements in my playing currently. I my my mom's side family is Irish, and my my great grandparents. Um, immigrate here from Ireland, and so I I've been to Ireland a few times. Been lucky to spend some time there, and uh, it's been really amazing. And I have also played a lot of uh, music at the Irish Arts Center, where sometimes uh, they group the performers to play Irish songs together at the end of the kind of uh, concert, and in that way, I'm kind of incorporating my old time music skills to kind of play songs that are in a different, um, I don't know what you call it, time signature. So that's been interesting. That's kind of like a more obvious way that I've kind of, you know, and I, I do love Irish music, but I have not really incorporated it into much of the music that I play or perform. Mm. Yeah, I got to hang out with Rhiannon Giddens backstage at Romp in Kentucky a couple of years ago and we talked banjo for about an hour 
um, in between sets. And what was really interesting from my point of view was that I would have a, a, a history of the instrument, the banjo, uh, largely that comes through Mick Maloney, who was in New York uh, University. I guess you would probably know Mick or certainly know of Mick. And uh, I mean, Rhiannon's take on it, of course, which was really new to me, was that uh, there's so much of the black history of the banjo that has been essentially written out of this history of the development of the banjo. And so much emphasis put on the Irish musicians, who of course were white, um, and the influence that they had on Appalachian music and on bluegrass music. Um, that was a very, very interesting conversation. Um, I, I kind of felt very schooled at the end of it, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's something that I'm very thankful to Rhiannon for spreading this uh, message and spreading awareness around the uh, massive black history behind the banjo and the banjo's origins and, you know, how that has been kind of hidden from popular media. You know, when you think of banjo, you think of whiteness, which is, you know, inaccurate, definitely. And even old time music, not just the banjo, the way that the banjo and the fiddle play together. Yes, I, I believe the fiddle or the violin was a European instrument brought to America, but the way that the banjo and the fiddle play together in this, um, or like sometimes like fiddle tunes and stuff like that, where the fiddle leads and the banjo plays backup, that is all, you know, created by African Americans who are playing, um, you know, playing banjo and adding this, you know, new instrument that maybe came from overseas. Uh, and so, you know, old time music not only has its roots in Africa, but also was, you know, very much of what we hear today. Um, that's definitely from the African American influence. Um, so I think that, you know, I think that many, many, most people today still are not aware of this. And it's unfortunate because uh, I think that kind of sometimes can create a barrier between who, you know, the amount of whiteness that's in this music scene. And um, it creates an imbalance between the amount of, you know, white old time musicians compared to people of color playing this music. So I think that, you know, the more that people know about this, the more that um, people can feel more welcome in the old time music world and people can uh, gain interest in in the music in general. Mm. Yeah. It's definitely what excited me the most about the banjo. And I think it's part of the spirit of the instrument as well is that like, yeah, and you were 100% correct that the fiddle came to the US with Irish immigrants and uh, Irish indentured workers meeting up with, uh, with, with the African musicians, the African slaves, essentially, that were playing banjo and these two cultures mixing and producing this fantastic music. And maybe it's a kind of a, a rose tinted uh, look at the whole thing. But I always find that the music that was played at that time was very joyful, despite huge, huge repression. And despite Irish people who had to emigrate because of famine and because of poverty and, um, you know, huge suffering, as well as the Africans who were taken from their country with immense suffering. But yet the music that they played was incredibly joyful. And I mean, Old time music is essentially a very joyful music. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that 
a lot of times uh, it can appear joyful because it's really dance music um, and it's, you know, got that up-tempo beat, got that fun syncopation that's, you know, meant for dancers to enjoy. But if you if uh, kind of get into some of the Eastern Kentucky style of, or not, not even specifically that region, but a lot of like solo banjo music can have a pretty, pretty sad um, undertones there. But I do think that in general, you know, fiddle and the banjo together, you know, immediately creates this a feeling of wanting to get up and dance, you know, because just kind of that combination. And, and even back then when, you know, fretted banjos were less common, in my opinion, I think that, um, you know, the fretless banjo and the fiddle uh, is a great combination uh, because they're both fretless. And I think that that kind of allows for the possibility of, you know, kind of uh, weird tones and things that you can't get from fretted instruments, right? So, um, although just fiddle and banjo period is amazing, I think that specifically fretless banjo and fiddle is a really unique, special sound. Hmm. Talk to me about banjos for a moment. So how many do you have? Is there a, a favorite banjo? Is there a dream banjos or something if you had an endless amount of money that you would go straight out and buy? Um, here, I'll just show you a wall of some items over there. <laughs> you got, uh, okay, you've got tons of banjos. Wow. There's quite a few banjos in this room. Um, I don't have just accumulated from various occasions, but uh, I got my frontless banjo over here. And this is I'll compare this to uh, Rhiannon's banjo. Mm -hmm. It's a pre-Civil War replica, and whoa. Um, yeah, it, there's not much to say about it. It's got these nylon strings on it to imitate the sound of, you know, gut strings. And uh, I, I play that banjo, and I play um, my, my five-string, my Gibson banjo, which is a fretted banjo that I use for when I need a fretted banjo. Um, and I actually recently got this instrument, which I've been incorporating into my music a little more, which is actually my great-great-great-grandfather's banjo. Um, and my great-uncle found this up in his attic and was like, do you want this? We're like, uh, yeah, we want the banjo. Um, and we so we put a new head on it, strung it up with some nylon strings, which I've actually really was very interested in getting a banjo that's threaded with nylon strings because I think that that allows me to play up the neck a little bit more. But it's very hard to do that with a threaded banjo because it gets a little wonky once you get past the fifth fret, right? Because it's like kind of hard to find yeah. where, where you're supposed to go. Um, so this banjo has been really great and it's allowed me to kind of expand what I'm able to do with that mellow sound. So do you, get... do you, do you know the full story behind that banjo? It's your great grandfather's banjo. Um, I don't know the full story. There's not much I know about it, but it, um, my great, great, great grandfather lived in East Nashville, um, which is where, uh, my dad grew up there and my grandparents still live down in Nashville. So I, I actually recently took a little road trip to go visit them. Uh, it's been a while since we've got seen them. Um, but I don't know much behind, not, not, not much backstory, but it's, a uh, Ludswig banjo, and it's, I think, probably from the early 1900s. But, yeah, 
There's a tremendous lack of gold leaf on old time banjos compared to uh, tenor banjos and even the newer bluegrass instruments. They could they, they look like quite a simplistic. Well, not simplistic is the wrong word, but a simple instrument. Interesting. I have not noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you've, you have, have you seen like shots from the American Banjo Museum and a lot of the plectrum banjos that are like they're adorned with gold leaf and with uh, mother of pearl or mother of toilet seat, as they like to call it. Like the banjos got incredibly flamboyant in their decoration. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know if that's because of the makers of or the popular makers of plectrum banjos. But um, I mean, there are definitely lots of flamboyant five-string banjos. But I, I hear what you're saying. I think that it's maybe more in style or more in fashion to have a little bit more of a sophistic style for five-string banjos right now. I'm, I'm not sure, but mm. I'm saying is yeah. there is there an is there a a, a really beautiful old time five string banjo that you would love to own or is there a maker that's making exceptional instruments um i don't have a specific banjo that i'm interested in purchasing at the moment but um i do know people who uh you know, take pleasure in looking for specific banjos and uh, know a lot about the makers of certain banjos and what they're what exactly they're looking for. But I don't know, I'm very satisfied with my banjo collection. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love going to festivals and you know, instrument shops and trying out different banjos. I think that that that's also a very important thing to help exercise your ear and really find out what 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 you're looking for in a banjo because it's, it's very hard to do that when you're you know a beginner on the instrument and I think that's a it's an issue because it's like okay I'm I've gotten pretty good at the banjo I think I want to upgrade whatever banjo I'm using now to one that I think I can really get a lot better on or maybe I think I've used this banjo to its fullest extent and I want to you know, upgrade a little bit. And then it's like, you know, what exactly am I looking for? It's very hard to say. You hear sound um, like words like mellow or bright or um, warm. Like, what do those sounds mean without being able to pair it with, you know, actually feeling the way it feels on a banjo? So I think that, you know, I mean, it's, it's super fun to try the banjos and just feel the way things the differences and stuff yeah. yeah i think you answered that i was laughing i think you answered that question a lot of the ways that i would answer the very same question which is that i'm ultimately an extreme disappointment to uh, banjo nerds who love <laughs> to talk about banjos and the date it was made and you know how much gold it has on it or you know where it came from and people get obsessed about paragon banjos or gibson banjos and master tone banjos and all of that and I've only ever cared about what it feels like to play, usually even above what it sounds like. Um, yeah, that's, it's interesting because, I mean, there are definitely things that I would look for in a banjo and like, yes, I agree. And I, 
I am also a disappointment to the engineers, but I do like, I can, I'm happy that I'm, you know, been able to try different managers out, go to festivals and go to little booths and try out different managers that I know the words, like what I would look for in a manager. Like for example, um, I definitely, in terms of the way a manager feels, I definitely need a thinner neck because my hands are fairly small and it's easier to play. Um, Neck. And I also look for kind of a deeper, mellower tone. I want to hear like my bass strings um, kind of resonate within uh, the head of the banjo. And that is actually demonstrated a lot in the banjo that I play most often, um, my Gibson banjo. And it's, I think it has a 12 and a half um, inch pot. So I think that that's slightly larger than the average size. Which kind of allows for that deeper sound to be more prominent. You see, you're you're well able to be a banjo nerd. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's about as far as I go, though. Um, yeah. yeah. My my bandmate David, he's he's the guitar player and singer with with, with our band. He got a, a a an old time an old style banjo made by Dave Dillard in in Nashville. Wow. And it's absolutely beautiful. Like it's the tone from it is is spectacular. But we looked at it very, very closely to see if it could be adapted to a four string Irish style. And it just the lack of tone tone ring means that it just it wouldn't work for for a, a picked banjo. But it's a magnificent yeah. instrument. I actually, yeah, I have there's a tone ring on my fretted banjo. Um, it's actually this. It's an interesting model um, because it was kind of made right before that Gibson started kind of cutting corners and they, they made the trapdoor uh, snakehead banjo, which is a lot more common. And a lot of times when people see, see my banjo, they're like, oh, is that a you know, trapdoor? And it's not actually. Uh, the, uh, I don't know exactly what it's called. Is it the rim? Or like the edge of the pot is actually hollow. Um, and there's something like, I don't remember, it's like a double tone ring or I don't know, something weird like that. Um, but there's like this hollow rim that, you know, really allows for this resonance that I really think is beautiful. Um, and that's something that I really appreciate about. Mm. I have a ball bearing tone ring in my banjo. It's made by Neckville Banjos in Minnesota. Uh, I had never come across a ball bearing uh tone ring banjo before but it's incredible how it allows the tone it sounds obvious out through the ball bearings you can see how incredibly technically challenged i am when it comes to what's going on inside the banjo mm -hmm. but the tone off it is spectacular yeah. what's uh what's um what's next for nora brown you mentioned you have a new album coming out have you great goals in mind as a musician um not particularly uh i'm just you know happy to play music with folks that i you know enjoy playing with and i'm you know it's been great to be able to record music um during this time especially so i actually recorded you mentioned you know mick maloney and mick kind of organizes this um little concert that's like kind of about a blending between Irish and Appalachian music um, and 
someone often plays there is Jeron Paxton, who you've heard. But um, Jeron uh, is featured on this record, and so is uh, Jackson Lynch, who plays fiddle on it. So, you know, I'm very glad to keep learning and hopefully recording some stuff. Um, and hopefully it will be out uh, end of summer, early fall. Um, yeah, and it's very exciting. It was actually recorded on these old tape recording machines uh, where it would, you know, go right to the reel-to-reel -reel recording and then go right onto the computer so there's no kind of in-between that would alter the sound. We recorded um, mono, so there's not really any mixing possibilities there. So it's, you know, very authentic um, sound, good or, whether that's a good or bad thing. Um, so yeah, I, but I'm, I'm very excited. It's going to be a 10 inch vinyl, um, recorded a little bit less. My earlier project was just a regular LP, but, um, yeah, it's pretty excited about, uh, getting it out. Cool. Would you like to go on and study music? Is that what you're thinking? Um, in terms of like college or something? Yeah. Well, I, I actually am in a um, performing arts high school, uh, which is called Frank Sinatra High School of the Arts. It's in Astoria, Queens. Um, and I'm a uh, vocal, major, vocal major there. So I'm singing a lot of classical, what they like to call art songs um, and stuff like that, which, you know, uh, it's been a great experience. I'm not sure if it's right for me, but um, it's been really cool to learn about this stuff. Yeah, I mean, Rhiannon Giddens has definitely been an inspiration. Sometimes I'll think about um, how I think she studied opera at some point in her musical career. And I think, you know, maybe that is somehow going to benefit my music the way it uh, definitely benefited her. So that kind of keeps me interested in it. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um yeah 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 That's fantastic well nora thanks for taking the time to chat um i hope to get to meet you in the real world sometime we do a lot of u.s festivals and i've no doubt our paths will cross at some stage but uh being a non-nerdy banjo lover um i'd love to sit down and pick some tunes with you sometime oh yeah that would be great that would be great <laughs> where can uh, people find out about your new release yeah, so I got a website, uh, noraboundmusic.com, and uh, yeah, you can go on there and check out upcoming shows, you can go to the little store area, and I'm actually sold out of my LP version of Cinnamon Tree, my first release, but there's download code available, there is some, there are some fun posters um, from Letterpress posters. My, my dad, uh, letterpress shop. So some fun items there. Um, and yeah, I got all the social medias and, um, yeah, YouTube, you can check out, uh, I, I post like songs and stuff that I learned and, um, and then, you know, Instagram is kind of more like updates on upcoming stuff, but yeah, I also have an email where you can reach out about lesson inquiries, which is cinnamontreenb at gmail.com. Cinnamon Tree is the name of the earlier album. That's why it's, I know it's a very confusing email. So, <laughs> cinnamontreenb, like Nora Brown, my initials, at gmail.com. 
Um, and yeah, I do teach lessons and I do workshops too. So sometimes I'll teach group workshops, but if you feel better with like a more um, focused on me, you're learning specifically, then we can do one-on-one -on -one lessons too. So that's cool. Wonderful. Nora, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you loved this episode, please head over to our website, webanjo3.com, to subscribe, rate, and do leave us a review. It makes a huge difference. See you next time inside the world. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.